Turn it off. Turn it off. Turn it off! Lights, camera, action. Welcome back to another episode of Happy Hour Films. As you all know, I'm Ross Bacon. I'm joined by my co-host, Mike McGuigan. Mike, say hi. How's everyone doing? And as you should know by now, we are two guys who drink and we talk about movies. Now, this week, we are on week two of movies you simply couldn't make today or probably wouldn't get made today. And I still argue Dodgeball could get made. Dodgeball could get made. It just wouldn't be as funny. Yeah. And... The two that we have this week, I'm pretty sure no one in Hollywood would have the balls to make them like they got made. Uh, and, they just have grimy 80s movies written all over them. <laughs> yep, and one of them would be remade today, but it would have a very different angle to it. And uh, I assume we don't think Hollywood has the the sack to do the other one, which uh, the first one we talked about is Hardcore from 1979. Uh, and then the second one is Cruising with Al Pacino from 1980. And these uh these are gritty ass movies like mike said and they are very much they very much they very much have that taxi driver vibe to them which which is kind of what um cruising was sort of kind of going for it at parts but um but we'll get into that and first we gotta talk about what we're drinking so mike what do you got all right so i think you've gone to this brewery before i'm not sure i've ever had um ellicottville brewing company yep Yep. So that's what New York, I believe. I it's somewhere around there, yeah. Yeah, I think I looked it up. I think it's a New York. So we're, we're keeping it to the tri-state area. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, so I went with their strawberry crunch bar cream ale. So it's meant to replicate the flavor of like that ice cream, the the strawberry shortcake ice cream bar thing. Yep. The popsicle. And yep. yeah. I'll say on first sip. For a six percent beer, it goes down as easy as Bud Light. Like it is, like you could totally crush a bunch of these if you wanted to. Nice. Um, you definitely get it's not overbearing with the cream and strawberries, but it, you get a nice hint of it, so it makes for a pretty refreshing drink. Nice. Yeah, and I'm glad that Mike mentioned that the uh, mentioned Bud Light because for these particular movies, I was going to try to get my hands on some gay Bud Light. But apparently Kid Rock, I think, shot them all. So um, <laughs> I couldn't find any. But I did uh, have, and it's funny that Mike has a cream ale as well, because I have peaches and cream from, uh, it's a milkshake IPA from Iron Hill. And Iron Hill is on the can, uh, proudly crafted in Exton, PA. But we have one right around the corner from me. And this one's got like a little... I don't know if this one was meant to be like, I know it's a hop that they're going for, but it kind of looks like gritty and like the Philly fanatic on it, like a green version of gritty. It looks um, like Oscar the Grouch. Yeah, if he was like happy and had a job. Yeah, if Oscar the Grouch wasn't a grouch and living in a trash can. (laughs) Yeah, this is Oscar before he came homeless, you know, but um, but 7% and it's very good. It's delicious. Um, 
Yeah. And of course, peaches and cream. Those are, you know, there's a great, I think it's 112 that has a song called Peaches and Cream from like the year 2000. It's a very sensual, sexy R&B song, which to a certain, from a certain angle, hardcore could be looked at as a uh, <laughs> very sensual and sexual movie. I'm just kidding. It's about a kid getting, uh, it's about a daughter running away from home and getting, getting into the porn world and see the, uh, 70s porn world of LA. And this, this ain't your this ain't your modern porn world. This is like this is the 70s. <laughs> 70s porn world where girls were getting drugged to be in movies and yep, yep, uh, what yep. uh, this is probably around the era of what like uh, Loveless would have been active. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. I, I can't remember when I think Deep Throat was in the 70s at some point. But um this is the yeah. slimy era. This, well, yeah. I'm sure there, there's some slime to it, but this was the slimy-ist era of the porn industry. Yeah, this was before, you know, the razor was invented, basically. Uh, Deep Throat uh, is from 1972. Uh, so, yeah, that is from... Um, that's Linda Lovelace, the most famous, I would say mainstream porn i guess we'd go with that mainstream porn movie i guess uh debbie does dallas is another one that's like everyone knows about you know but wasn't like shown in actual door sluts nine right i think i think debbie does dallas i think lynn i think deep throat actually got like a release you know in theaters you know <laughs> but um yeah it's um yeah first seminary first yeah okay I'm, I'm just reading for deep throat which we probably should have thrown in here as well you know because it's you just you just the porn world is very different nowadays and it's like only fans exist and it's like girls yeah, have... that's like now it's if i'm understanding correctly very profitable for the stars they are not being drugged and i'm sure yeah. there is still like stuff like that going on but a lot of the porn world has been cleaned up to some extent and the car and stars are millionaires if they're famous the female stars the female stars <laughs> i believe the male stars no matter how popular what's that guy's name johnny sins or whatever no matter how popular that dude may be i'm pretty sure he's one of the very few that might actually not have to have a second job as a male porn star, you know, but, um, but yeah, that, women... what do you mean? Second job? Johnny since has like 30 jobs. I meant like a second real job, not, you know, closet of uniforms where he, uh, he plays, uh, he's, he's, he plays a handyman and a doctor in the same scene of some kind or whatever. But, uh, for those of you who don't know, at one time at a Halloween party, me and my friends went as the many careers of Johnny sins and won the group costume contest. I would hope so. I mean, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's kind of like when like used people used to go as the village people and get it. But oh uh, uh, yeah, Johnny Sin's net worth roughly five million dollars. Yeah, now Google like I don't know, I I don't know a modern porn star, but like Jenna Jameson would be one from my era. She That's was it. like uh, Mia most... Khalifa is probably still the most popular modern one. Yeah, they're but the thing is, they're like. That's like direct revenue to them now because yeah. they own their content. And the only thing that what they have to worry about is like Pornhub and like Pornhub stealing their shit. But their OnlyFans still is like a big revenue generator for them. And 
there's a big difference from when it was in the seventies where it was this skeevy dude that has, you know, a camera. Huh, I'm surprised. Nia Khalifa is only worth three million more than Johnny Sins. Well, there you go. Well, she has she been like active in the game? Like I know I, I don't know how active out. she's been lately. It's kind of like caught up on the activity of porn stars. Yeah, I'm not either, but it's kind of like it's kind of like it's kind of like Lisa Ann. I know for a while was gigantic in the porn world, but then she like broke off and does like I don't know, like a porn podcast or something now, whatever. But uh, she used to be on President Steve a lot. But um, highest okay, we're just we're just gonna throw this on the uh, we're gonna throw this on the old search history right here, um. And get this out of the way because I mean it does have to deal with what we're actually talking about. Okay, so celebritynetworth.com is telling me that the 20 richest porn stars, number one right now, and this is as of March May 23rd. So this is as of a couple weeks ago. This article came out. Um the actors on those have a combined net worth of over a hundred million dollars, blah blah blah. Which is odd because, yeah, this is all combined. So, number one is uh, a woman named Sunny Leone. Who's I don't net even know who is, she is. Who's not, net worth is $16 million. Then there's Riley Reed. I know who Riley Reed is. I know who Riley Reed is. Yeah, her net worth is $14 million. Tara Patrick is somehow number three. Tara Patrick, I thought she was out of the game forever. Like, I thought she retired. She's a 10 mil. Mia Khalifa's at eight. Jesse Jane, another one that I thought retired, who's uh, six mil. Maria Takagi, uh, I don't know. She from related to do from Die Hard. That's uh, <laughs> six million. Jenna Jameson's at five mil. Um, Peter North, there you go. There's a blast from the male porn star past. He's a he's a four million dollar guy. Evan Stone also four million. Lexington Steele at four million. So those are three of the most paid guys in porn, and all three of them I believe are very retired <laughs> and. I'm just scrolling through, like, then there's Sasha Gray, and she, I don't think she's in it anymore. There's Katie Morgan, who tried to go straight for a while. Like, I'm not talking straight porn. I'm talking, like, mainstream for a while. I think she might be back in the game. And then, of course, there's the woman that would probably pertain to this movie the most, the legendary Tracy Lords. Now, Tracy Lords' whole thing was that the most famous she became as a porn star was all when she was underage <laughs> she yeah. had a fake driver's license and everything and her entire career that got her famous was when she was like a 16 year old girl and it was like oh no <laughs> and but that like pertains to this movie this movie is about george c scott's daughter his oldest daughter i don't do we get an age on her no, I don't think so. I don't think we get an age on her, but I don't think she's 18. She's like 16 or 17, let's say. And she gets, she goes on this, like, the thing with George C. Scott and his family, they're they are Calvinists, which is like, they believe that they are already the chosen ones and they will be going that, to heaven at the end that's, of the Calvinism is very much, um, so I was a world history teacher. Oh, right, I forgot. For, I forgot the, the, the for a brief period, it. and Calvinism was very much in freshman world history curriculum. <laughs> I could see that. 
That was a part of the Protestant Reformation, one of the big three from the Protestant Reformation. And their big thing is predestination. You're born to either go to heaven or you're born to go to hell. And no matter what you do, you're predestined to one of those paths. (laughs) Yeah. And turns out George C. Scott and his buddy Dick Sargent. Holy shit. When Dick Sargent showed up, I was like, oh, my God, I think it's what, Darren number two? (laughs) Or is he Darren number one from Bewitched? I can't remember which one. I just remember the Wayne's World joke, the Dick Sargent. Wait, hold on. Dick Sergeant Dick York, Sergeant York, as if we wouldn't notice. (laughs) (laughs) What I couldn't get over was Peter Boyle in this. Dude, we will get to shocks of a lifetime when we get to cruising, but of cameos. But yeah, Peter Boyle in this. I was like, holy shit. But it's the, 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 just to generally sum up the movie is George C. Scott's daughter, comes from a very religious family. He's a very successful businessman in Grand Rapids, very religious man. She goes on a trip to California with her friend um, and a a bunch of other girls. It's supposed to be a church trip. It's a church trip. She goes missing. She does not come back from this trip. George C. Scott hires Peter Boyle, who is a private eye in L.A., to find her. Peter Boyle does find her, and it turns out she's done porn. She's done a porn video, or a stag film is what he calls it. And George C. Scott from there goes to L.A. and basically tries to find his daughter is what ends up happening. And I am, I, my favorite things in movies are usually fucked up. One, number one favorite of all time, as I've made clear numerous times on the show, is the death of Terry in Final Destination. Yes. <laughs> Sudden bus, she explodes from getting hit by a sudden sudden bus bus uh, uh, crash into her. The second, one of the second things I love is George C. Scott's reaction to seeing his daughter in this porn film. Peter Boyle's like, he's got this in his hand. He's like, you need to see this. And he puts it on in this like grimy ass porn theater. And he puts it on for him and Scott's like watching it. All of a sudden, you know, he realizes what he's looking at. He's looking at his daughter have sex with two dudes on camera. And then he starts going like, turn it off. Turn it off. Turn it off. And he starts losing his mind in the only way that George C. Scott could do. And it's one of the funniest damn things you'll ever see in your life. <laughs> it, it is one of those movie moments that you're just like, okay. Okay. Yeah. Like this yeah. man, you got the actor that the only actor that probably could do that. Absolutely. And the thing is, it's simultaneously hilarious to me, and also at the same time, it's 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 great on Scott's part because he's very much falling apart in this moment, and it's like any father suddenly sees his daughter who he thought was is missing suddenly banging two dudes on film. Yeah, you lose your fucking mind. It's it's not even like it's not even like just one on one, two. It's two. (laughs) Spit roasting. Yeah, she is. uh, She's definitely in the middle of the. She's the crossbar in that A right there, you know. And she's the support beams in that Eiffel Tower. That's exactly it. Yeah, and it's like, okay, that's that sucks. (laughs) But the way that Georgie Scott delivers this, like terrifying turn it off is just absolutely hilarious because the dude's voice is so iconic that (laughs) there's no way he could say it or deliver it in any other way nope like the only other person i would want to hear like hear like do that would kind of be like morgan freeman (laughs) like now turn it off (laughs) 
I'll turn it off. <laughs> turn it off, I said. <laughs> turn it off. <laughs> right, and maybe, maybe you go for a. Uh... Hmm. I'm trying to think. Like, I'd be curious to see how Nicolas Cage did it, but <laughs> Cage would be like, "I'll oh, turn it off. Turn it off. Oh no, turn it off." <laughs> Maybe like a Charlton Heston. Charlton Heston would be so like it would be weirdly calm about it. I think he'd be kind of like sitting there, like, "No, turn it off. <laughs> turn it. Oh, turn it off." <laughs> or maybe he'd be like, "Damn you to hell!" Like, Dang, yeah, turn just it off. Out of the apes mode. Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> It'd be, it'd be kind of funny to hear like Alan Rickman do it too. It'd be like, no, turn it off, turn it off, <laughs> turn it off. no, <laughs> oh, turn it off. <laughs> I am but, Severus Snape, Mr. Potter. <laughs> turn but, it off, Mr. Potter. <laughs> Ten <laughs> points from Gryffindor. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> Is that Hermione up there? Oh my god! But yeah, but I mean, you get Scott's like gravelly voice. Turn it off, and it's it's just brilliant. And then later. Now, even more to compound this, it's 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 like the story I told about watching Return of the Jedi, um, the Last Jedi, when um, our friend Damon did his impression of Adam Driver shirtless the night before we saw the movie, and all we could think of was seeing when we saw the scene the next day was Karen and I were laughing our ass off thinking about Damon. Now, in this, there's also the local like we like the local radio station we mentioned around here, Preston and Steve. Uh, they would play a lot of sound clip drops and all that. And one of them they used to play was the hardcore turn it off like that. And it was usually when somebody was like, some idiot was talking like Paris Hilton or a Kardashian or whatever. They would play that growingly in the background, like just turn it off. But then later when we have on um, big dick black, <laughs> that guy would also make it in there as well. That, that, um, that quote as well. So like even having that in the background, it's like you're thinking of all the great, better scenarios you can add the turn it off clip to. It just makes it even funnier, you know. <laughs> but then I'm like, yeah. going through this movie, I'm like, it's all super dark and cynical. Like there is nothing happy about it. <laughs> no, it's very there is a quote unquote happy ending in the sense that he does get his daughter back, but there's the life of uh what's what's the what's the Nikki the, Nikki the hooker's name that he meets he she thinks that he's going to be like like her ticket out of the business yeah. you know and once he finds his daughter it's basically a thanks for helping I'm a, I'm gonna leave now <laughs> you know <laughs> and she knows her life is like not gonna change it's like oh man that's that 70 1979 downer ending for you right there it's happy and bittersweet. At the same like there, there's happiness that the guy who makes snuff films dies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Peter but, Boyle gets to ice his ass. <laughs> Rattan or whatever the guy's yeah. name is, and all that could make me think of was Newman from Seinfeld because there's an episode where he he finally gets really invited over to Elaine's apartment. He's like, he's like, oh, it's just like I thought it would be. I just as I imagined, except for this Rattan piece, <laughs> this Rattan piece, which seems curiously out of place. <laughs> It's the only thing I could think of. It's one of my favorite lines of Wayne uh, Knight has on the show, too. But then there's... Did you notice the Star Wars references? There's like I noticed three... the Star Trek actors. Yeah, but there there are three actual like hot, like Star Wars product placements in this movie. One of which is a calendar on the daughter's wall in her house in uh, their home in Grand Rapids. The other is, 
I gotta pull it up. the The other is an ad on a building as we're like panning across the city of L.A. It just says Star Wars on it. I was like, so yeah, New Hope would have been out. Like that's what we're advertising in this in this movie hardcore. <laughs> like, do you think D- Disney wouldn't even let this movie come near Star Wars no, today? No. <laughs> and you know, I'm surprised. I- I'm surprised that. Um... George C. Scott let his daughter have a Star Wars calendar because, you know, Jediism is very much closer to Taoism than than uh, Calvinism. <laughs> it's definitely a different religion. They definitely don't believe in Jesus, you know, that much. But uh, no, no, Jedis are straight up Taoists, just in a space way. <laughs> right. <laughs> space Taoists. Taoists, but, you know intergalactically. <laughs> Instead of believing but... in the living Tao, they are the infinite tau they believe in the living force yeah they believe in mighty fucking midichlorians and shit like that but uh but then when george scott goes into the strip club towards the end they're the strippers on stage are having a lightsaber battle and they're dressed as darth vader and obi-wan <laughs> it's like what is going on here <laughs> i want to know how george lucas like did george lucas allow it well that's the thing at the time the only power he really had was with the toys, the toy line. He wasn't George Lucas yet. He was, you know, he happened to be really, he would happen to be, you know, the reason for Star Wars, but he didn't have the power that he had eventually, you know? But yeah, so when I saw those like three different, I'm like, holy shit, someone like Paul Schrader, the director who did American Gigolo, Autofocus, which is a great kind of like fucked up movie. Um, first reformed was his most recent one. I think that was nominated. Somebody got nominated for that movie, and of course, Mike Cat People is what Paul Schrader did. The '82 one, not the original, the one that we talked about. See our uh, see our forty, my fortieth birthday episode from last year, our month from last year. We talked about that. But it's I, like, had, wow. I had wiped that from my memory. Like I pushed, I I repressed that movie and. It's such a good movie. I, I highly recommend it to anyone who hasn't seen it. But this, but with this movie, like we did last week, I did a whole bunch. I did a list of reasons that this probably wouldn't be made today. Number one on my list for this one was come to think of it, absolutely probably would be made today. It would just be from a different angle. And Kirk Cameron would be the one that made it. And it would be the evils of porn corrupted the pious young woman and jesus saved her saved her soul or some shit like that it would be seen by 10 people all of which would be kirk cameron and <laughs> it would and it would just be it's awful. kind of like how our youtube videos were seen by 10 people me me me, me. ross me yeah me mike uh kirk cameron <laughs> and, and that one guy who said we weren't doing real reactions <laughs> Yeah, that guy took it really seriously. That was fun. <laughs> that was yeah. Apparently, we weren't following the YouTube formula. <laughs> Sorry, dude. <laughs> Spoiler alert: we don't care. <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't know I was getting uh, the format. YouTube format cops were going to be called on us. But then there's just the nudity in this movie. There, films nowadays are not allowed to have apparently not allowed to have nudity in them. Apparently. Um, Unless they're like an indie film where it's like the point or some, I don't know, some shit. Apparently mainstream movies cannot have nudity in them. Thank you, Marvel. Um, Then there's the line where George C. Scott's pretending to be a producer. 
he's talking to um like Jack the Jackie Treehorn of the of the movie. And the guy's like, look, I'll give you some advice. Start small, like with kitty porn. And I was like, oh, no, <laughs> no. In the 70s, that was like a thing. <laughs> like, it, like there was somebody there doing that. It was like, oh, no. <laughs> yeah. And Tracy Lord's like, you seemed like ducking out of the scene. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, no. Yeah. But, like, looking at this movie, what it's not that the movie didn't age well. Like, I think that it handled a lot of the topics fairly well. I, it's just subject matter that, like, yeah. mainstream producers just wouldn't touch the subject matter. Not even a little bit. And because it would have to take somebody. <clears throat> the only way that this gets made today in this way is if it's somebody that is like a respected and like cemented in Hollywood director. Like let's say, and I'm going to toss out some craziness here because he probably would do it. Let's talk about like Quentin Tarantino. He has the cachet, the pull and the name to be able to do this movie today. Mm -hmm. He just wouldn't do it like this. He would, it would come very close. I would think, but it would probably be more of like a once upon a time in Hollywood type of movie. Um, it wouldn't be like a father looking for his daughter type of thing. It would be like girl goes to L.A., puts her feet on the camera for 90 minutes, and then it's all about, you know, her struggling to make it in L.A. or something like that. But it it wouldn't be made the way it was like this. There wouldn't be a guy pretending to be a porn director so he can get a look at a guy he's like, He's looking for her co-star like that right off the bat. Somebody, even though that's the point is for him to be deceptive. this because he's doing like undercover work. Some would be like, no, that's that's rape. You know, you can't do that. It's like, no, I mean, what are we doing? Come on. Come on, Gen Z. Let's let's back up a little bit. Let's 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 go home. We This isn't for you. The adults are talking here. You know, <laughs> so the funny thing with Gen Z, it's like there are two very there's a huge dichotomy with a lot of Gen Z. Like, you have the ones that are, like, ready to cancel people, and then you have the ones that just do not care. They will make the darkest jokes ever, and just be like, eh, I was kidding. <laughs> we need to get back to that, honestly. It's, <laughs> it's, and we say, they say it all the time. Everyone says it all the time. We're far too fucking sensitive nowadays. <laughs> yeah, you have and... that part of Gen Z that's like, 13 knows the world is like fucked up right now and they're just like meh <laughs> what are you gonna do you know <laughs> they're like, i'm just gonna make really dark jokes and just meh it off. <laughs> who cares we're dead inside we're all dead inside <laughs> to quote mr chow we both dead inside <laughs> but but did you yeah. die <laughs> But did you die? But yeah. And then the last reason for well, obviously all the Star Wars references, Disney would would kill somebody the second day that word of that leaked. Um, and then just literally, and this goes for the with for cruising as well, all of the like 1970s faces in this movie, all of these people are not fit for modern cameras. They are not, they wouldn't be allowed near it. They would this would these would be creatures in a cantina. 
on the Mandalorian. <laughs> you know, these, <laughs> these are not human beings according to modern movies, you know? That's like, so the two movies we're going to be talking about, there is a very apparent vibe with like their extras and everything that it, it is grimy. It is late seventies, early eighties cinema. Uh, looks like taxi drive. Like it's, it's the type of cinema that the crow kind of looked at and went, I'm going to take this and make it even darker to make like a dystopian yeah. kind of grimy future look. <laughs> yeah. This is, this is the LA that becomes the unnamed city in seven <laughs> this is the la that when you watch the episode of futurama and fry and his girlfriend from the past like freeze themselves to go further into the future and then they wake up in the dystopian future and they find eventually find out that they only woke up three days later and fry's like telling bender and Lee, it's like but it was like there were roaming gangs of rabid children they're like you're just describing la <laughs> Right, exactly. <laughs> and even with this, this L.A. is obviously the West Coast version of the Death Wish New York. Yeah. Because Death Wish New York is full of muggers, rapists, and murderers. And it's everybody. It's like John Wick and the Assassins, you know? It's just a, a city full of murderers and rapists. In L.A., it's a city full of skeevy porn people. Every store that he goes near, like when he's walking down the strip or whatever road he's walking down, every storefront is porn, every single one of some kind. And I love like one of the most disturbing things in the movie is when he goes to that one like like hangout house or whatever the fuck it's called where the girl it's where the where he pays to get the girl like to just talk to him in the side room. And she pulls her shirt off. She's got her tits hanging out. And then she's like, hold on, let me get a sheet. And she pulls this, like, Donald Duck, Mickey Mouse fucking kids, sheet, like, twin bed sheet to put down over this mattress. I was like, oh, my God. That's the darkest thing in this movie. Because why is that the sheet? <laughs> you know? Why isn't it just black or what? Well, not black because of the stains, but why is it not just white or something? Why is it this like child's fucking like sheet set, man? This is gross. Just leave the sheet off. Just leave the sheet off. <laughs> and then when you look at the other, like the set, you can tell that all of this was shot on location in these spots. Yeah. Like when he goes and meets Nikki and he puts his quarter in and the in the little uh, booth, the divider goes up and she ends up on the other side. It was just great, great character development here. She sits down naked, puts both her feet up on the window, and it's just kind of like, here's my vagina. Let's talk, <laughs> you know? But you are shown that divider was not cleaned. Did you see the cum streaks on that shit? It's like, we're filming a movie here, Paul. Mr. Schrader, can we... Can we get one of the jizz moppers that Don Randall talks about in Clerks? Can we get him in here to do his job real quick? Because I'm not touching this fucking wall. <laughs> there is no way in hell. <laughs> yeah, that's if they're trying to capture like the darkest side of LA in the 70s. They did it. They Absolutely. sure as hell did it. <laughs> same with and it's we'll get into it, it's the same with cruising. Cruising got 80s like 1980 new york this scene it's just it's these movies have a 
texture to them. Like you can feel these They're movies. Like, these are the civilizations that lead, like these are the timelines that lead to your escape from New York. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly yeah. Escape from New York and Escape from LA. <laughs> you know, it's Snake Plissken is walking around here going, "Well, this is about right." You know, yeah, this seems like it's going to be turned into a giant prison at some point. <laughs> oh, exactly. Yeah, and then there's then there's the line that George C. Scott has where he says, "I'm a Midwesterner. I don't care what's going on in Los Angeles or New York, if only." the midwest to believe that shit nowadays this country would be so much better <laughs> it's like stick to your own shit you know leave us alone let us deal with our people you can have your god and your corn or whatever the fuck you got in the middle of this country <laughs> let us keep to the people let let us have you our can keep your red wings <laughs> yeah you can have your red wings you can have your kansas city chiefs you know you can have Kenny Powers, Pat Mahomes. I don't care. Keep them. You know, we'll keep the characters. We'll keep. Uh, we'll keep the the diversity. Let's say. <laughs> but it's yeah, and it's the only thing. The only thing about watching this movie that I was kind of like rolling my eyes at was the quote unquote happy ending. Yeah. And it's when the daughter like gives the reason of why she ran away for one, and I was like, oh, here it comes. I was rebelling against your ultra conservative blah blah. I'm like really we're doing this like this is what we have to do it's like i i see the 1979 in you movie and it's it's really showing here yeah because he just didn't have the balls to be like i wanted to fuck on camera you know it's just something like that like i somebody mentioned it to me i didn't i liked it how about that <laughs> you know it's like i didn't think twice about leaving my uh my calvinist family behind <laughs> like you like the whole wanting to rebel thing like that that could be what leads you there but in the end you wanted to fuck on camera and you liked it. <laughs> that would be so much better because then that would be like, well, it, it would at least give her coming home with her father, like kind of an edge to it. It wouldn't be this daddy saved her kind of thing. And she's like, well, maybe I don't, maybe I, I don't, I can see where this life is going. Like maybe there's a scene where she meets Nikki, you know, it's like, I can see where this life would might maybe lead me to. And maybe I'll just, this was fun for a minute and I'm disease free. So I'll get out while I'm on top. No pun intended. Come back in 2020 when, you know, I could do it on my own terms. <laughs> right. Yeah. When no, she could still be in Grand Rapids, you know, she could still, the, the internet's everywhere, you know, <laughs> she doesn't need to be in LA to do it. Yeah. She's got, just got to wait for the internet to kick off a little more. Yeah, just keep it tight. Like they like they say knocked up, just keep it tight, you know, and you'll be good to go. <laughs> like <laughs> this this career gets infinitely better, like 30 years later, not even yeah. wait for inflation to happen, you know. You'll be getting going. The MILF porn will be a stepmom porn will be a gigantic industry. You know, you'll be able to play that role. You'll be good to go. And your dad will likely be dead by that point. <laughs> Yeah, he'll be and he'll be in heaven, you know, because he thinks he's going straight to heaven. So it'll be fine. Everybody gets what they want, you know. Like he thinks that you're going to church every Sunday, he's dead, you know. <laughs> like so, you get whatever you need. And I, I do think a better side story to this movie because Dick Sargent does follow him to L.A. and is kind of like trying to pull him back from the edge, you know. But I would love it. His name works too. If Dick Sargent got caught up in like the CD porn life of LA as well, like couldn't extract himself from that, like he just got stuck in it and was in that like 
like that S&M club that they find the dude in like with the fucking motorcycle hey what's that motorcycle used for and B like if Dick Sargent's just like wearing like a gimp mask or something or like prancing around like a pony or some shit at one oh, point God. That, great. <laughs> that would be an interesting uh way to go with it I would have loved that that would have been, been great but but yeah I mean I think like we said this movie there's nothing in it that prevents it from being made today it's just the way it was made would never happen today and the people that are in it like you would everyone in this movie would be good looking you know it and maybe clint howard would show up at some point you know it's you wouldn't have everyone would not have that like 1979 lived in look you know (laughs) they would have that this is my friend this is uh this is chet van beesbrook i am I'm cast in my first major film, and uh, I'm just happy to be here. You know, oh, uh, I need makeup. I need makeup on my face. Uh, I have a I have a slight wrinkle in my face. I need to get rid of that. And then George C. Scott would just walk in, like get the fuck on the ground. <laughs> I'm the star. <laughs> it's like, oh my god, who put this goblin in here? Fuck, <laughs> he's the star. Oh my god. <laughs> but overall, the movie didn't like age terribly. It's just, yeah, it's just I don't think. Uh... I don't think a studio would ever fund it now. They'd never touch it. It would be it would be that and I think both of these movies fall into this category. It would be that movie that every year at the Oscars there's always that like best supporting actor or best supporting act or best lead actor, best lead actress. There's always that one nomination where it's like a famous actor but the movie is completely unknown. You know, it's like, what fucking movie was that? You know? Yeah. Like, this past year, I think it was, like, Bill Nye in some movie where everybody's like, oh, hey, it's Bill Nye. But then the movie title is like, wait, that's not a movie? What are you talking about? That, <laughs> that movie doesn't exist. That doesn't exist. What's the matter with you? But, like, that that would be these two movies. And it's, it's kind of a shame because if Hollywood had the balls, they could really... And they love to redo old movies. They could de- they remade Death Wish for fuck's sake. You know, you can remake Hardcore Cruising. You're really good. <laughs> but no one would have the sack to do it. So, Mike, how is your beer? I'm doing good. I am just about done my second one doing 12-ounce cans. But, yeah, this thing, if you're not careful, you'll blow through the six-pack real quick. Nice. nice. So, uh, that's Ellicottville made a very refreshing beer. Yeah, they make a good brew. And uh, yeah, my peaches and cream milkshake IPA from Iron Hill Brewery is very good. Drinking nicely. All right. Now on to Al Pacino. New father, we should say, <laughs> in the year 2023. Al has, has recently had a child and uh, he's 107. She's 20. With uh, Adam Sandler cross-dressing. Right. Yeah, but she's like 29, I think. And uh so then we're gonna talk about cruising when he was very much not the Al Pacino of today from 1980, and it's directed by fucking William Freakin, The Exorcist, William Freakin, and right off the bat, let's go. Pol- reasons why this would be not be made today: the police are corrupt. Oh wait, I'm sorry, that's exactly why it would get made today. That would be like the focus of this movie today. This movie though might be too gay to get made today, <laughs> and I say that. In the sense that we are, we have opened a door to the 1980 
hardcore leather bar gay scene in New York City. And it is like, welcome. Here's what it is. I don't think you explicitly see it, but there is a scene where guys definitely get infested. They show you everything but penetration, essentially. And it's like, welcome. This is it. We're not holding your hand. (laughs) You know? Yeah, that's... (laughs) So the other reason this movie might not get made is the perceived anti-gay message that, like... I get where people are coming from with that, but I think... I don't think that's an intentional way that they went about it. I think they were trying to use... The, uh, the scene in New York in the ni- in 1980 as like a backdrop and they were just trying to show it as unfiltered as possible the the way that I think the anti-gay vibe or themes in this movie could be perceived are the cops a the cops that clearly are taking advantage of young gay men they're either making them they're raping them by making them suck their dicks in the in this car like they like a um mental from dumb and dumber and the dude he's all he's in fucking rocky he's um he's rocky's like pimp basically (laughs) i can't remember he's like his loan shark bookie friend um i gotta pull up the actor's name but he's he's in a bunch of stuff and those dudes are like cops abusing power and they're taking advantage of young gay guys like as informants, but also like literally sexually assaulting them. And it's then there is the the whole uh when they're um oh fuck, I'm trying to remember the act the, the character's name. When they're uh skip, when they're interrogating skip, and yeah, it's those dudes are literally the cops are just trying to find a way to fuck this guy up and there is no like we're trying but to get ag- to the bottom of this they just but again I, they're not being like it's not like they're portraying the cops in a good light they are right. being portrayed as corrupt and villainous people so i i think it's more just trying to not sugarcoat how things were oh absolutely oh, i completely agree but like that's like that's really the only anti-gay angle you can see in this movie right off the bat. That, the other one that I and know, then like you can kind of take Pacino's character like with how he kind of is losing himself in the role to an extent, like how that's handled. Which I gotta say, Pacino was one of my least favorite parts of this movie. It's weird to see him as this type of Pacino because we're he's so reined in. He's so reined in. He's just a guy. He's just an actor. In this. He's not <laughs> Al Pacino. And Joe Spinell is the is the one cop. He's got a very distinct face. He's also in Taxi Driver. He's in Rocky. He's also in this movie called Maniac, which is fucked up. He's also in Godfather Part Two. So he's worked with some folks, you know. But he's also got one of those very 1980s faces. Um, but the other from what the research i could gather the the anti-gay like the the protesting for the anti-gay perceived anti-gay bias was because they were showing they were they were saying that this movie is essentially saying that being into this particular gay uh, aspect of the gay lifestyle this was the norm that for being, 
was seeing be gay leads to violence. Like that's yeah. what they were saying. And there's a you can read it that way. I don't. There's think an argument it. to be made because like, I like yeah, I could see like people saying like, listen, this isn't like the norm. This is a we'll call it a counterculture esque, right? But it's a legitimate part yeah. of being like if if it's it's just like if it's just like straight people who are into like BDSM or even gay people into it. It's it's just a it's not a fetish. It's a preference of like it's like a sexual preference for how you go about getting off, basically. And it's it's one thing to see this as yeah if you're gay and you do this you're gonna die or you're gonna kill somebody it's like well yeah that's kind of that it, it kind the of worst way to read the, it uh what philadelphia where like the way that the the prosecutors are trying to basically say like okay if you're gay this is what you do so exactly. i get that aspect of people thinking it's anti-gay like kind but of think... pushing bad stereotypes yeah exactly but I don't think that's reading this movie correctly. I don't think that's not what's on screen. That's that's an assumption right there. Yeah. And that's taking things a step too far from what's actually shown. Because for those who haven't seen the movie, Al Pacino is recruited by Paul Ferrino, his captain, he's a cop, to go undercover in the gay leather bar scene to f- catch a serial killer, to catch a murderer. And... Because there's a murderer who has a very specific type of gay man that he kills. And he look, it's a gay man that looks like Al Pacino. And so Al Pacino gets into it. And essentially, by going undercover and living in this lifestyle for a while, he had... He eventually gets the Don Cacino made. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> and living in this scene, he eventually... is he is, The thing is, will he either catch the killer or will he realize that maybe this is what he likes? Like, he, like he might be gay, you know? But... Of course, I'm willing to bet that that was all much better explained in the full hundred, like, like two okay, hours. The per- ending of this movie is like oddly not answerative. <laughs> well, that's because forty minutes of this movie were cut out, and that's because it could so it could achieve the R rating. Now, a if this is the R rating, what was cut out, <laughs> and B. The ending of this movie, even Pacino has been like, yeah, it's a little fucked. You know, it's a little weird. Um, the ending of the movie is, it's one of those things where like the movie ends, but then there's like this tacked on part where you're like, there's like this weird extra twist that they try to throw in that maybe Al Pacino was the killer the whole time. Or was one of the killers. Like, yeah, I, there's definitely multiple killers. It it doesn't make well if you actually watch like the movie. There's only one guy playing the killer, but then all of a sudden they start throwing other people that might be into it, and it's like, okay, these aren't red herrings. They're like legitimately trying to say that these people might have also been the killers, and just leave it up in the air. But I think that was so, like apparently victim of editing. Apparently, yeah, that's you could also kind of take it that like when they were going into these bars like everyone had it like you almost look at it like an american psycho aspect right it's like people living in this scene have a way of dressing a way of looking and lose themselves in the crowd of it rather than being individuals right but that's also apparently like 
at least according to this movie. Obviously, I have no personal experience with it. But this movie is this particular aspect of the, uh, and I keep calling it lifestyle because this is, I'm not saying being gay is a choice. I'm just saying that it's like different. This particular aspect, uh, like the, the, the subculture, which they are showing in this movie. Right. Exactly. It's, it's a sex, this, in this point, it's a sexual preference, you know? Mm-hmm. And the, everything is laid out even okay and here's where we get into the cameos or the the minor ass roles of people that are gigantic stars powers fucking booth powers booth is the guy that explains the hanky system <laughs> when i looked at that my first thought was is that the map guy from tommy boy <laughs> get yourself a new map <laughs> like i was like is that no that guy would be way too too old in tommy boy if that was him holy shit that's powers booth and when he says, like, yeah, if you wear, you know, a, a blue hanky in your right pocket, that means you want to fuck somebody in the ass. Or, like, you, you're you a top, basically. Wearing your left, you're a bottom. Wear a red one. You like to fist people. When you like to fist, wearing your left, you like to get fisted. Then there's the yellow one where he's like, if you're wearing the right side, you like to pip, you like to piss on people. You like to give golden showers. If you're wearing your left, you like to receive them and all that. And it's funny that that yellow is the color that Al Pacino's character picks because I was like, wow, okay. I think you're looking for a very specific, specific part of this subculture. It's like the sub sub part of the subculture, but nothing in your police reports has said that this serial killer is pissing on anybody. (laughs) So I think maybe you picked the wrong color, Al. (laughs) Now I'm not a forensic scientist. But the, the plot in this, where they're like, they can't pick up any DNA from the semen because it is sterile. Shoot Why do I feel like that's not how that works? I don't think it is. I, <laughs> I think I think sperm is DNA, regardless of if, it, if it's live <laughs> or active, I guess I'll say. <laughs> but is it possible... To have an ejaculation with no sperm in your scene. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, I mean, that's that's shooting blanks, you know. It's just it's all it's all juice, no seeds, essentially. And but no, I think you can still pull genetic material from that, regardless of it. <laughs> yeah, like I, I have to imagine it's almost like blood. Like, okay, yeah, no, I don't have sperm in my blood, but it'll still tell you at least a profile of me. And Dude, you say that, but in these crime scenes, there's definitely blood in that sperm. <laughs> <You know? laughs> these, these were not tidy crime scenes, you know? <laughs> All right, so I'm going to, okay, we're this is going to be a partial, like, let's Google, let's fuck up Ross's search history on the fly episode. I like this. <laughs> All right, can you extract gen- DNA from sterile sperm? Ross is already on a list, so like, oh yeah, it's fine. yeah, fucking come find me. All right. Oh, here we go. A UK study presented recent recently at the European Association of Urology Conference in Barcelona, Congress in Barcelona. Now, this is in 2019, showed that sperm DNA extracted from the testicles of infertile men was just as healthy as the ejaculated sperm of fertile men. So, yes, <laughs> you can absolutely get <laughs> genetic and DNA material from uh, impotent, well, not impotent, from um, um, infertile sperm, from uh, um, 
from seedless sperm, let's say. <laughs> but yeah, and that's another part of this movie. We are shown, like I said, this movie might literally be too gay to make today. There isn't a director on this planet at the moment that wants to work in Hollywood that would ever dare explicitly show the acts that are shown in this movie. Especially, A, the fisting scene, which, dude, that dude is looping up his hand for quite some time in this movie, and the dude's, like, in stirrups, and then he's got the O face, all that shit, it's all there. Then, there's a couple times where Pacino's well, actually, You know, I say that, but The Boys is a show. It's a show, but it's a show on Amazon. Bezos wants to see that shit. <laughs> but you mean to tell me that, like, the Hollywood elite that control the, like, the movie theaters, they want to put that in theaters? I don't think so. <laughs> That's definitely, this is definitely a straight to shutter movie. <laughs> they're not, they're not releasing that in the, this. A in the prime theater. original movie. Exactly. Yeah. This isn't releasing next to Creed 3. <laughs> You know, this is releasing next to Ant-Man and Quantum Mania, you know? <laughs> but if, if it was, that'd be fucking great. Like, here's your two options. It, that'd be great if it was just those two movies. Here's your two <laughs> options. Quantum Mania or Cruising. Mind you, Quantum Mania will suck. <laughs> In Cruising, you'll see a guy get sucked. It's like, oh, all right. <laughs> <laughs> all right. <laughs> but, and that's the thing. When Al Pacino's moving through this this bar... And several different times, there are dudes like just straight up like fingering buttholes. There are dudes getting blown in corners. There's nothing about this movie that's like subtle. No. <laughs> you know, it's like this shit's happening. Al's <laughs> walking by it. He has to duck. <laughs> you know, there, something's going to be firing his way at some point. That's and this movie is based off of a book that. Yeah, yeah. I don't know 100%, but I think when I was looking into it, I think one of the character elements that they left off for Pacino's character is he is an implied, like, going through high school or something, he was, like, an implied racist and homophobic. Yeah, it's like a learning, like, he's, he has to learn, too, like, that kind of thing. Like, learn to love himself or something. But... Now, direct. So, our director is a heavy hitter, too. Dude, William Freakin, absolutely. He's the fucking exorcist, man. Like that's the all. Exorcist, the make. French Connection. Uh, yeah, he's made a ton of fucking movies, and to live and die in L.A. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, just look at the top three build. You got CSI Al crime scene investigation. Yeah, right. I mean, <laughs> it's all there, <laughs> but like you get Pacino, Sorvino, and Karen Allen. Karen Allen, which means. That her characters in film have fucked some of the most either A, attractive or most just prominent men in Hollywood. She has banged before this. She banged Donald Sutherland in Animal House. This one, it's Al Pacino. Then she gets to Harrison Ford in Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> so Karen Allen has had a very successful body count on film, you know? <laughs> and then... Obviously, you can turn around that those guys got to had the privilege of having sex with Karen Allen, you know? <laughs> True. It's like, but with this movie, then, okay. So then, did you catch the two other cameos in this movie that almost made me fall over? We already no. talked about Powers Booth, which, that's a cameo if you know who Powers Booth is. 
But there are two people in this movie that you should absolutely know. One of which, Mike, is a cop. Did you notice him? No. I'm not talking about mental from Dumb and Dumber. I'm talking about one of the cops that is doing one of the investigations. One, Ed O'Neill <laughs> from Married with Children, Modern Family. Oh, no, oh yes, Ed it is Ed O'Neill is one of these cops. I almost fell over. But then we get the character of, we get another character who is, let me pull up the actual, um, we pull up the, the actor's name. Okay, so Stuart Richards is the character. Now, I think it's his brother. I don't know if they give him. Oh, no, the the actors, the character's name is Paul Gaines. It's Stuart Russell's, I think, not his boyfriend, but just a friend, I think. He's played by an actor named William Russ. Do you know who William Russ is, Mike? I'm sure a certain and people of your age are probably losing their mind if they're listening right now, screaming. Our gigantic audience is screaming at their um their phones. They're screaming into the night to say who William Russ really is. Oh, Boy Meets World? He is father of Boy Meets World. <laughs> He is Mr. Matthews on Boy Meets World. He is obviously what's his name? Eric and you know Fuckface's Eric and Fuckface's dad. You know Eric and Corey's dad. There you go. But when I saw him, I was like, oh wait, I know who that. Holy shit, (laughs) you know. But then there is my favorite character in this entire movie, and he only he's only in one scene. They do not explain why he is in the scene, but he has my favorite role in the movie, and it's giant black guy in jockstrap and black cowboy hat. (laughs) (laughs) He's in the interrogation scene, and all he does is appear behind an open door, slap the shit out of Al Pacino, and then slaps the shit out of Skip Lee in a separate scene for no reason, and then just reads the paper otherwise. (laughs) They don't explain who this man is. They don't explain why he is part of this investigation or why he needs to be in a jockstrap and a fucking cowboy hat. Like They don't explain him whatsoever. And I kind of want him to be in every other movie. I just want him to appear in every movie. It's, yeah, I don't... A lot of things in this movie just do not... Straight up, do not make sense. Yeah, and I think a lot of that is the is because this movie was a victim of like Tyler Durden's editing. <laughs> you know, it's it's really bad. <laughs> but there's also, did you re- like you probably noticed the the dubbing of the killer, right? How oh, it's yeah. just completely dubbed. Now, a I looked it up because I was hoping I was going to see it. Uh, Roger Jackson from Scream, the guy who does the voice of Ghostface over the phone. When he is just talking to somebody in those movies, he just kind of has a normal, chill way of talking. Just a normal like dude talking to Drew Barrymore. That is how this killer sounds in this movie. And I was hoping that it would be Roger Jackson doing this voice. <laughs> so I'm pretty sure a lot of the outside scenes had to be redone sound-wise because they were picking up the protests. Yep, that's exactly why they had to redub everything. Yeah, and it's it's pretty wild that even, but even then, 
it shows kind of like hardcore. Like these movies were filmed on location and people, real human beings were there to like fuck up the production. And that's 1980 for you right there. If this movie again was made today and let's say, I'm just going to throw a name out there. Let's say Ryan Gosling is the Al Pacino role in this. Let's say that, um, I don't know, fucking ScarJo is Karen Allen. You know, let's just say that anybody else is in this movie. Do you realize how much, like, security would be keeping protesters away from this movie? Oh, yeah. I mean, you would never hear them. They would never be heard from. And it's it's almost endearing to know that in 1980, a movie could be made and they would make the movie despite not being able to hear a fucking thing that was going on <laughs> to go. We'll just fix it. We'll just overdub it later. Just let's get this scene and go. You know, we only have the guy getting fisted for about 20 minutes today. We got to get his scene locked. <laughs> He's got another fisting movie down the road. He's got to get to, you know? (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah. That's, and then, like, the whole, Al Pacino's whole relationship in this movie, and, like, I really don't know what the director was telling Al Pacino to do, but it was incorrect. Apparently, he didn't, according to Pacino, apparently didn't tell him anything. Like, he just kind of let Pacino do it. It was like, well, this isn't quite the Pacino that you let make that decision, you know? Because he's he's not going to give you anything. Because he's not really Al Pacino yet, you know? Al Pacino comes along when Scarface happens. That's when you get Al Pacino. Like, uh, yes, Godfather exists. But I would say that the real Al Pacino shows up after Scarface. <laughs> That's like... So you don't want... You don't want, like devil's advocate al pacino in this necessarily uh, i don't know man i kind of do now that you mentioned it <laughs> i kind of want the devil in this Funny, movie. i actually a uh, couple days ago oceans 13 was on tv and i was watching that and i just my favorite okay in movie history okay okay <laughs> you, you want you want you want to get pissed on okay <laughs> You want you want that guy to fist you? Okay. <laughs> That's his, he has a conversation with the police chief. See, I don't lose. People who bet on me to lose lose. <laughs> no, think about this. No, I'm just thinking of like his character in Heat. <laughs> Instead of she's got a great ass, you're like, and he got a great ass. You know? <laughs> like it would be so much better if we got like. 19 let's just say 1990 al pacino would be perfect in this movie this movie would be legendary if that's the opportunity like if you're trying to make the best movie you don't need over the top all the time but you need sparks of it <laughs> yeah absolutely and like i'm looking at pacino here we go here's pacino before 1980 we have the godfather obviously is michael Corleone. then we have serpico which I'm, I don't know. I haven't watched Serpico in forever. I don't remember most of it. I'm pretty sure that might not be able to be made today, you know, or be made from a different angle. Obviously, Godfather Part Two, Dog Day Afternoon. Okay, so we're getting a little bit of Al Pacino. He's starting to show up. 
Then 1980 happens. He uh, he does Bobby Deerfield, which I know is a movie that people have seen. And Justice for All is apparently something. And then he does Cruisin' in 80. So really, all we have seen of Al Pacino so far is Godfather, Serpico, and Dog Day Afternoon. That's really what we've seen. We do not have the Al Pacino that we know and love today. We have a very calm, getting his feet wet, I'm a professional actor, Al Pacino. We don't have the Al Pacino that we get a movie later after this. Whatever author, author is, fuck that shit. 1983's Scarface happens, and that's when we get the true Pacino. I think I think that's when he's finally allowed out. <laughs> <laughs> that's like so like some specific scenes that like you needed over the top Pacino in. When him and his girlfriend are breaking up, you need flashes of over the top Pacino. Absolutely. When he goes to the chief and is like, I need to get out of this, you need over the top Pacino. When He's doing the sting and like picks up the guy and asks him to tie him up and the cops come in. You need over the top Pacino. Yep. Yep. <laughs> you really need over the top Pacino when he fights James Remar in his underwear. Yes. Speaking of James Remar shows up in this movie because apparently the Warriors wasn't enough for him in night in the in the seventies. Uh, but the best thing about Remar, because he's always a great character actor to throw in there. You're always I'm always happy when Remar shows up. The best thing is, though, he's he's gay, and he's doing a gay voice, but it's subtle. It's very subtle, which I don't think – I think if you were to make this today, obviously a straight man playing a gay actor, would a gay character would be completely out of the question. No, actors are not allowed to act. You actually have to be the thing you're pretending to be now, apparently. So Remar wouldn't get the chance, but uh, – let's say a straight actor does get it. They would probably play it either completely flat or they would play it over the top gay. And they wouldn't have the very subtle hint of a gay quote unquote gay voice in this. And it's, it's funny because you would think that in 1980, the, the, the tendency to go overboard would be more. Yeah. Because who gives a fuck, right? It's 1980. We don't care. Gay people aren't people, you know? <laughs> but the thing is, I think that's where Friedkin actually came in. He was like, look, in this scene, you're James Gay, James Remar, in your underwear in this apartment build, in this apartment building. In the rest of this movie, I have shown a guy getting fisted. I have shown a guy getting double blown. I've shown everything. Just don't go crazy. Just be you. If you want to do a voice, that's fine, but don't make it nuts, you know? And it's it's funny because it works. It really does work. And there are hints of this movie being great, but with the editing, it becomes very like, the fuck? <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's like, it becomes very, what the hell am I watching? <laughs> yep, absolutely. I think the editing and like just, cuts to the movie like it makes the story feel disjointed and like yeah. you feel like things don't really get resolved or a little too ambiguous yeah or they do and it's a completely like giant question mark like what <laughs> that's yeah. not an ending that's not an answer <laughs> what are we doing? why is karen allen putting the hat and the glasses on are we supposed to think she's the killer you know her hair's the same length but it's it's pretty wild and 
again, like I would say that this movie wouldn't be made today simply because no one would have the balls to actually make it the way they did. You know, it it would be so sanitized. It would be so they make it prettier and clear. Yeah, it wouldn't be as gritty. And like I'm trying to think of an openly like here's a gay movie, basically. And the only thing I can think of is what was that movie that um what's his name? Uh the the gay dude that yells on the street interviews, Billy something. Um what was that movie? Bros or something? Oh uh, yeah. Billy Eichner, that's it. Bros. Now that is him, and that is this guy named Luke McFarlane. Apparently, they are gay dudes who are like loving each other, and that's like the whole point. The entire cast, as I'm cruising through, is a bunch of trans folk, gay folk. Um, I think one might might be a drag queen. Um, but yeah, all of and Deborah Messing's there for some reason because sure. But, like, apparently, then Harvey Firestein. There you go. Harvey Firestein in this as a lead in this role would be fucking great, too. You know, <laughs> I'm just getting Harvey Firestein in here. But that's the only movie that I can think of in recent history that has focused on being gay. But Brokeback it's a com- but it's a comedy. But well, Brokeback Mountain is that dramedy and it's more a relationship drama. Yes, they're gay, but it's a relationship drama. This is, and that's just like two dudes in the like in the mountains, basically. Yeah. This is like again, like I said, guess what? We're not holding your hand. You are in this bar with Pacino, and no, and you're in this scene. You're like out walking along, like with like along what is it, Central Park, wherever the hell they're walking. Well, I, I think they filmed on site at some of these clubs. They did, and they did. And a lot of sites wouldn't allow them to do it simply because of, like, the possible, like, backlash that they were getting from the protesters. Yeah. So there could have been more. But, it, and I was talking telling Carrie about this, and she mentioned, she made a good point. Like, this movie is what Bohemian Rhapsody should have done with that scene where Freddie Mercury's like pulled into like a sidebar, basically, mm-hmm. and they we we just we walk right by that. We walk right on by. We don't. Yeah, get they had in. to keep it clean. <laughs> yeah. keep... we don't get in there. And guess what? You got an Oscar-winning movie right there. This movie simply wouldn't be made out of sheer fear, I think, and lack of balls. I tend but, to agree. Even even in June. Pride Month, where everyone's gay, apparently. They would not, no company in the world would come at this movie and be like, you know what? Here's uh, Pride Month. We're releasing this in June. This is going to be part of our Pride Initiative. <laughs> Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> You'd be laughed out of every boardroom in the country, you know? Yep. <laughs> but it's like, it, it, that would be the only way that this type of movie would get made. It would be some sort of soulless marketing executive would be like we need kid rock shot all our bud light um (laughs) the country music folk hate our sponsorship with dylan mulvaney or whoever it was we got to do something to catch bring the gay people back uh how about that movie cruising let's remake that movie cruising (laughs) 
know, let's do it like that. But we have to do it like a rom com. It's like, well, you know, okay, where are you gonna go with this? And you're gonna get you're gonna do anything, you know, risky? No, no. We're just gonna call it cruising and have it share the title. Uh we'll get Al Pacino to make a cameo. Ooh. <laughs> He'll be, or we'll show the movie on a TV screen in the background. That's how this movie would get made today. It would be completely ballsless, completely toothless, and no one would try even a little bit to make it a risky movie or get their audience to actually think about anything, you know? And it would be completely forgotten after uh, July 1st came around and it would be buried on the back of a streaming platform somewhere and it'd be completely forgotten because Hollywood is no sack anymore. And it's a shame because this movie... Hollywood is all about lowest common denominator, what we make money. As, As George C. Scott would say... I'm a Midwesterner who doesn't care about what happens in Los Angeles and New York. <laughs> that is the op- kind of the opposite of what Hollywood thinks because they're in LA and they really care what the Midwest has to say. <laughs> but it's it's just a damn shame because this movie probably should be seen. It really should. And, and it should also be better. <laughs> it should be better. It really should. Like it, its original form should be seen, but obviously we're never going to get that because I think that footage was destroyed. So that has been cruising and our week two of you can't make this shit today uh, month. So Mike, before we reveal what we're doing next week, we want to tell people where you can find us on the internet. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Overcast, and just about anywhere else you get your podcasts from. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at Happy Hour Films Podcast. Go subscribe to our stuff. All right. Now, folks, comes my favorite month of our entire, a favorite week of my our entire podcast. We're going to do some 90s erotic thrillers. <laughs> Mike Mike is going to be hanging himself. I almost guarantee it because he does not see the joy and amazement in the craft of these movies that I do. <laughs> Simply because they're one of the most bonkers, insane film genres ever. We've all we've already talked about Basic Instinct. Now, I don't have anything specific in the schedule here and I'm going we're going to I'm going to talk to Mike about what we're going to do, but I'm going to say we're guaranteed to watch Sliver, which is a sh- another Sharon Stone erotic thriller. I want to say that we should probably watch Showgirls, too, <laughs> which isn't technically an erotic thriller. It's a very much a 90s, what the hell are we watching? And this will not get made today. But if you like, um, if you like Saved by the Bell and think uh, you want to see the- Jesse Spano's uh, vagina. There's your movie right there. <laughs> if I'm going to say that Jade is in the running, Jade's another great one, but there are, there are a few erotic thrillers that we're going to throw out there. And from what I've seen, apparently there may or may not be a modern erotic thriller that was recently released that I might have to watch. Cause I think it's a pr- on prime. I might have to check that out, but we're definitely going to be talking about sliver. That's, that's a guarantee. We're, Basically, is going to come back up because I fucking love it. But we're going to get into some 90s erotic thrillers next week because we used to be a proper country. We used to be a proper country. You know what? Erotic thrillers are one thing I, I don't need. I don't need them. <laughs> and you're going to love next week because that's what we're getting into. All right. So next week, we talk about some uh, some erotic thrillers. 
I have been Ross Bacon. I've been Mike McGuigan. And we'll see you guys next time. So long. Turn it off.